it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. (laughs) Whoa, now that is a scary way to start a show. Welcome to the Prospects Baseball Show in uh, October. Uh, everything about my life revolves around Halloween. As you can tell, when you walked in, were you not scared when you walked into my place I today? I was frightened. It uh, took me by surprise that uh, the, the, the creepy... The little doll? Yeah, the creepy doll is it is creepy. <laughs> looks like looks a lot like one of my goddaughters, and I don't know how I'm ever going to be able to hug her again yeah. um, because it is freaking me out. But I went out yesterday. By the way, I'm Dean Millard, Jordan Blundell, yep. uh, the head coach of the Edmonton Prospects. Uh, this is the Prospects Baseball Show in October where there is a Halloween theme. Um, what happened to the Dodgers was certainly scary, so that works out. But Horror. I went yesterday to like the dollar store. And just bought like a ton, like that knocker at the yeah. front door and knocker. all these different things. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta uh, gear up. I, I love Halloween. Um, I went to Edmonton the other night. I know you went yes. to Edmonton. Uh, parts of it scared me. Uh, the lineup was probably scarier than anything because <laughs> we were almost two hours in line. But it, it's worth it. Like, uh, it's cool if you can get the speed pass like you guys did and avoid the line. It's awesome. They, they put a ton of work into that. Yeah. The the employees are all great in character none of i did not see one employee break character like they do talk to you but they talk to you in character they all really enjoy it and that will be my retirement gig when i when i finish up with (laughs) broadcasting a gig man dress up as like a chainsaw massacre guy (laughs) or something like that so all right so on the show today jeff white is uh he's a head coach in okanagan uh, for the coyotes we're going to talk about that we recently had uh, Ethan Elias uh, from the Edmonton Prospects, or uh, Edmonton Trappers. Yep. Uh, I always get that mixed up for some reason. So we're going to get uh, the Okanagan side of things as well. Uh, we'll get an update from you, hopefully, on uh, what's going on at REMAX Field. And, of course, we will preview the World Series. The World Series uh, starting tomorrow. So let's get into it right now. Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada. God, I'm looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. All right. Uh, anything? Uh, you gave us some good news last week. I, I know you're anxious uh, to start reaching out to a lot of people and give them good news, hopefully. Do you have any kind of an update on what's going on with the city? Is this going to be a Christmas present for you guys? I, I hope it's damn earlier than Christmas. You know when you go retail shopping, and you see the, there's a little bit of Christmas lights starting to yeah. creep in now before Halloween. You know, uh, yeah, Dean, I'm really hopeful that we're able to, um, you know, come to an agreement. You know, we are in negotiations. Uh, you know, in, in my opinion, I think we're close. I think we're in the right place. Um, yeah, we're just uh, a little bit again in the holding pattern. At least now we've been able to reach out. Uh, to for me, some college coaches and, mm-hmm. and just to update them. Yeah, we, we're very close. Um, it, it doesn't mean it's done, however, and uh, but we're close. And, and and we've also been able to reach out to some of our partners in the business community and and alert them to where we're at, uh, which which we feel like is fairly close. I think the city does as well. Um, and yeah, hopefully we can get this hammered out. 
finally. Oh, yes. Good. That let's, would be great to, to have happen. By the way, do you like all those eyes staring at you? <laughs> it's cool, man. I love what you've done about the place. Yeah. This is year round. You should just have this set up. I Little should really yeah. things here and there and everywhere. I would be living alone. My wife would <laughs> divorce me if I did this year round. It's like one month, and and yeah. her, I'm not allowed to scare her. She she won't. I, I can't like jump if out the and scare. If items scare, that's fair that's game. Fine. But just, just I not can't human, be dressed up. Right? Yeah, like I can't put on that Jason Voorhees mask and like jump out. Right, three in the morning. Yeah. You know, she got up to go to the bathroom. You know what I was gonna do? Wah! If I really wanted to get divorced, I was gonna hang that creepy doll girl because she animates above her bed. So when she's got <laughs> up to go to the bathroom, it's a motion sensor that would go up. I I, you, yes. I would be living at your house. I would be uh, I would be kicked out of the house. So <laughs> I'd love to see that though. That would be great. Yeah. That'd be great. Oh, it would be good. Uh, it w- it would be hilarious. Okay, so that's kind of the uh, the update from the city. So we'll we'll wait and see, and hopefully things out uh, play out. Um, I really wanted to watch Game Seven yesterday. Unfortunately, there wasn't one uh, right. between the Astros and the Yankees. So let's chat about this World Series now. Um, I, I, I guess, first of all, let's go back to Saturday night and Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve. This guy was cut from the Houston Astros at, uh, I think, just like a, a tryout, right? They sent him home. He came back and they said, we cut you yesterday. He said, you haven't seen me play. One of the smartest, whoever decided to let him go out and try yeah. out yeah, right, yeah. should be the, the you know, have, get a million dollar bonus every year. <laughs> Well, yeah, the fact that they, um, you know, uh, allowed this kid with a big heart. All right, we'll give you a shot, kid. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's, might as well just let him take some ground balls and hit. That's probably what they were going, like, what was going through their head. They kind of Willie Mazed hazed him, totally. except they didn't move his uh, bunk out into the parking lot, but they told him to go away. Yeah, a perseverance man and, and dedicated. You know, as much as it's perseverance, like, uh, he wasn't going to stop until he had an opportunity, so he might as well just give it to him. I mean, it, I'm sure he, you could see the fire in his eyes and, and the seriousness with which what he was bringing to the table on that particular day in, in mm-hmm. Venezuela, I believe. I think that's where I think where it was, yeah. yeah. And, and, hey, man, uh, what a story. Uh, what a special. Five foot six. Yeah, what a special person to be in the game of baseball. We're fortunate to have that level of character and that level of uh, human in the mm. sport, you know, he's very thankful to God. Um, he, 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 not that you need to be anything, but um, he's, he's thankful very, for what he has. Yeah, very, very grateful and thankful. And 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 you know, every time you hear him interviewed, uh, you know, he he's a, a good teammate. You can just tell that he's a good person. And and frankly, the way his teammates speak of him uh, tells you all you need to know. We've all we're all we're all guilty of uh, overlooking somebody. Because of um, the, we're, we're all judge, we're all guilty of judging a book by its cover. And the cover for Ho- Jose Altuve was this guy is five six. Yeah. Everybody has been guilty of it at some point. Two thousand and fourteen, fifteen. Gee Flaming and I are doing the Pipeline Show, and we're laughing one night at how Johnny people think Johnny Gaudreau is going to play in the NHL this year, and he's going to have to go to the minors. Well, he scored sixty four points that last year, and totally embarrassed us. We embarrassed ourselves because we judged a book by its cover. And we've probably all done it. Yeah, um, well, I'm sure. And, and it's a good lesson for everybody to give somebody a chance before you write them off. Yeah, and be open-minded and, and you know, uh, w- what's the harm in giving the opportunity, right? And let's see how it plays out. So, yeah, for sure, we're, nobody's perfect. Uh, we've all done it. I, I know I have. Um, and, and you know what? It, it sets you up for uh, a surprise when you're willing and, and you're open-minded to, uh, to the possibility. So, um, yeah, I try to be that as a coach. 
Uh, you never know. Like, and, and when we talked to Coach White about this, you know, guys could have really good numbers and then come into our league and not do well. Guys could not have great numbers, but they're being you're being told by a coach like you got to take this guy, and and it's tough sometimes. You know, as much as you respect that coach and you believe him, it's like, well, you do I do I take this chance? You know, because we have things we need to take care of too here, right? So uh, sometimes a victim of the circumstance, but. Um, I, I definitely try and keep myself open-minded to possibilities and, and, you know, recommendations for sure. This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! All right, so um, for the Astros, uh, I, I'm surprised that, uh, I don't want to say it was easy, but it seemed easier than I expected uh, them getting past the Yankees. I don't know why. Game six extra innings. Easy. Yeah, easy it's, road. <laughs> it's, they were pushed to the brink by Tampa. Yeah. And they weren't by the Yankees. Well, I mean, they, they persevered in game two. You know, the Yankees could have had that game. Mm-hmm. This is a different, we're talking different. Correa comes up huge. Um, that's where he made the play to get the out at made home, the play, right? Yeah, and then the home run. And but then the home run, the, of course, yeah. You know, your, probably your favorite play of the playoffs is that Correa play. It is. And then you're right. I mean, that helped propel them or kept that game Going, yeah. at bay. And, and um, honestly, the Yankees, uh, like, that one got away. They let that one slip. And, you know, they were looking at facing Garrett Cole in, in game seven. So game two after taking game one, mm-hmm. man, game two would have been huge for them to get. Um you know, they, the Yankees lost two games in extra innings, you know, so uh, ultimately, they, you know, they were right there. Uh, you know, maybe they were a pitch or two away, and, you know, maybe we saw that a little bit with their rotation. They had to get into their vaunted bullpen earlier than maybe they would have liked. But they had the guy on the hill that they wanted. They did, yeah, he got beat. Did you see his reaction? He, yeah. just, he was just like, hey, I got t-. Not that he tipped his cap, but just you could see in – in Araldus Chapman's face that like gal he got darn me. it he got me yeah okay yeah you know you're better than he me today he made a bad pitch and he paid for it yeah. he's like are you kidding me yeah, like that's what that's I, he he wasn't see it's not like he was like you know like I think Verlander the other day when he got rocked he was kind of down was it Verlander dumb, sure dumbfounded down, you know d- yeah like he's like what Chapman was like yeah all right I made that pitch he hit it yeah. that's it that's baseball yeah yeah totally hundred percent and. uh I mean, shoot, if they could have found a way to, and you don't want to keep putting guys on base and you don't want to be putting guys in scoring position with the game on the line and extra innings. Uh, but but unfortunately, there is a difference between Altuve and Marisnik. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the what one. What does it matter if he hits a three-run home run or a two-run right. home run? Well, and, and advancing to second base now, broken bat singles. Okay, you know, they, okay. But, but you're dealing with, you know, Altuve, you know, split to gap, you're in trouble anyway. Uh, Delfield's playing deep there, but um, if he gets it by a guy, you know, you're in trouble. Springer's going to score from first. So there was still some danger with Altuve um, keeping the ball in the yard. Um, you know, for me, the for me, and, and this is always hindsight, uh, the, the decision that I think was was the worst for the Yankees was when they took Chad Green out. I think it was game two, and he was, he was just cruising. And they went to Ottavino, and then first pitch, mm-hmm. they went Yardo. Um, you know, made a bad pitch, whatever. It's baseball. Um, and like la- last year, Booney, Booney got uh, accused of not getting into the bullpen quick enough. You know, now not, he gets not, into it too fast. Yeah, now it's like, now you're just making a move for the sake of making a move. 
Um, so you, you, when you lose, no one's happy. Uh, when you lose, it's obviously scrutinized. Um, you know, hopefully, I mean, there's a, there's a feel and a gut to this, plus what the numbers are telling you, plus what you're seeing. Um, you know, Dave Roberts has dealt with this too, and and not going not going to a guy, then going to a guy, and maybe going to a guy too many times. Um, yeah, it's a tough tough gig to to be successful in the playoffs and 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 manage the pitching staff is where it's all is, is what it's all about. Um, for me, for the Yankees, that decision on Green was the one that, you know I would want to have back. I'd I'd want to be able to mulligan on that one and go back to that spot, like Green go for two or three. Um, you know that we don't know for sure how healthy everyone else was and, and all the little intricacies and uh, you know I'm obviously not trying to tell Coach Boone how to do his job. Sure, but he's for, a savage. For, for me, that that's where you know, I would have liked to see Green maybe be extended. Okay, so now we look at the World Series and um, Game Three. You have Granky Corbin. Granky's been knocked around a little bit, so that's interesting. But the first two matchups are just amazing. We're going to get Scherzer Garrett Cole Game One. And then Strasburg versus Verlander like game two. What a two. perfect symmetrical matchup! It's right just there. like just the just the pitching matchup alone in the first two two games is great. And, and we talked about Altuve. Um, you know, we didn't talk about a whole lot of re- rest of their lineup, but it's deadly. And you know, Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto are smoking the ball. Um, like how salivating are, how excited are you about the first two games alone and this pitching matchup? The like. You know, we saw zero zero NHL game yeah. last night. Yeah. We could see zero could. zero Major League Baseball yeah, World Series games with these four pitchers. <laughs> yeah, a couple like eighteen innings, and then we'll get some offense yeah. in game three. Um, strategically, the Astros uh, good idea winning game six, so that you have Cole going game one. Um, that changed the whole complexion of the World Series. Um, in my mind, if Cole's not going till game three or four. Yeah, I'd probably take the Nationals with that staff because Scherzer's going one four seven. You you right. know he's a bulldog. He's Mad Max, um, and you got Strasburg two two five and and in the pen in seven. So like so they're they're set up the way they'd like to be. Ideally, if they got to choose, this is how they'd have it. Um, if if Houston has to play Game Seven against the Yankees and then moves on, they don't get the ideal setup. Uh, which, I mean, huge. That that's that's the MVP of this World Series for them is the fact that they didn't have to use Cole and he can go game one. Strasburg Verlander. It's almost like it's almost like we're seeing the student and teacher in both matchups. You know, Garrett Cole is, is has a chance to be what Max Scherzer is now. He's had this long career of striking three hundred guys out a year. Uh, been in perennially in the Cy Young uh, talk in both leagues. Like very similar, and Cole's has elevated to that level where you get to see Cole doing this for the next ten years. You know, in some way, shape, or form, health obviously. Twenty nine years old. Scherzer's like thirty seven, thirty eight. Yeah, you know like that's true. Yeah, that's a the, good point. The the, the it's weird. The, the these top end guys, these best guys, end up finding a way to be able to do this fairly late into their career, and then and and then in game two, Jack Morris, one of your your favorite pitchers, exactly. did it the, with the Tigers and the Jays later, right? Yeah, exactly. And and then in game two, Strasburg Verlander. I mean, Strasburg kind of seems like a young Justin Verlander. You know, he's got the command, the composure. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a golden boy, early round pick, like all, all very similar. Um, Verlander had a little bump there and then has rejuvenated his career. Um, you know, and, and and what Strasburg brings to the table is very much Verlander-like. 
Uh, so it, it's an interesting contrast in, in where guys are in their careers, the starting pitching matchups. I like the, I like the, the analogy student versus the teacher and it's kind of flip-flop for both games. So you're right, Dino, game one and two should be must-see must TV. Okay, so this might not be a popular opinion, but I think the Nats are going about this wrong. I would go Strasburg in game one. I think Strasburg has been better than Max Scherzer in, in the playoffs overall. Um, and this might be splitting hairs, dude, because seems like it. Like it's it's. But I I would I think Strasburg good problem to have has yeah for sure. Um, like is Garrett Cole been better than Verlander in the playoffs? Yes. 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 Okay, that's so that's you know I that, hear you. That's but, why I would go with Strasburg yeah. just because I think. Overall, he has been more nasty and dominant, and I don't, that, that's what I would do. Not not that Scherzer has been bad at all. Right, I just right. think Stra- Stephen Strasburg been has been on a, just a different level, and I think that's what you need against Garrett Cole. I can't argue the numbers. They're right. Strasburg has better numbers. Um, for me, I go Scherzer in game one. Um, I think that there, there's always got to be a little bit of hint of what Strasburg can handle through 07 game series, even okay. though he's been bullpen and started and, and, and shown he can handle that workload. Um, it just seems like it doesn't matter. Scherzer will perform and has his best stuff. Short rest, um, one inning stint, bullpen, this, that, and the next thing. And and if you use him in game one, that opens that up for you. Um not that Strasburg can't pitch a ton here in the seven-game series, but I think the reliability, the age, the experience of Scherzer, he's going to throw his arm off here. Where where may, maybe Strasburg literally will throw his arm off and, and then be injured. Right. Scherzer's going to do it and be fine and just continue to get get the, get the ball and, and perform. Um, I hear what you're saying. The stats do have Strasburg slightly ahead. Um, but I, I, me personally, I go with my bulldog, my vat. I go with my Scherzer game one. Okay. So, uh, the nationals, um, you know, rode this crazy wild card wave and they're in the world series. Yeah. They the, were down to the brewers. Remember that misplay yeah, in the outfield. That's right. And they were, they had 19 wins in the first, uh, 60 games or something yeah. like that or 50 games. Uh, their manager was going to get fired. Yeah. They had no Bryce Harper. Like they, they have rolled this wave. The Astros are where everybody expected them to be. Yeah. You don't believe in momentum carrying over, do you? No. That's a crock of crap. Okay, <laughs> I do. I do. And this is where we're going to differ. Set up. Ask the ask the St. Louis Blues if momentum means anything, man. Yeah. And. and and I'm not saying momentum is going to win this series for the Nationals because I think there's been too much time. I agree. They, they agree shouldn't on have swept. Time off. If yeah. they w- what are you guys doing? Don't sweep. <laughs> you know, like that's the dumbest thing to say ever. But if the Nationals had had just won on Saturday, I think their momentum would momentum. But they've had too much time off now. Now I'm not saying they can't rev it up again, but I think it's going to be a lot harder. Just getting to the World Series is almost like winning the World Series uh, for people may, in yeah. those in that fan base. Yes, in the fan base, um, not the players, but yeah, confidence and momentum. I think are, are different. Um, like St. Louis Blues developed a confidence in the regular season through the momentum of of how they started climbing last, uh, and, yeah. and and then they they just didn't believe that they weren't very good. They they we're good. Uh, regardless of what the standing said as they climbed, yeah. their confidence in themselves propelled them ahead of any adversity. Um, I think that there is a little too much time off here that that I'm not so worried about uh, uh, Rendon and Soto. It, it's 
it's keeping Howie Kendrick at that yeah, production that's level. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, your stars are going to perform. You would think so. Um, and then it's going to be very difficult uh, versus that pitching staff. Uh, that'll be elevated. They haven't seen that level mm-hmm. uh, of staff in the playoffs yet. So that will be more difficult for Soto and Rendon just to go off. Uh, but for me, the key for the Nationals is, is you know, Trey Turner and Howie Kendrick. They're going to need to do some, something and something special for them to get by the Astros. Um, for the Astros offensively, uh, it, it really does seem like they've always been a committee. Um, somebody new every day is that guy. So uh, if Bregman can come around here, he's, he maybe hasn't been regular season Bregman yet, and it's mm-hmm. not easy to do. Uh, but if, if he... He was an MVP candidate. Exactly, and he, he may still get it. If, if Bregman is able to um, kind of unlock his ability here in the World Series, I think that that... Uh, you know, the rest of the Astros will do what they do. If Bregman can can unload here, you know, I think the Astros are in good shape. Uh, if they're able to silence Bregman, it, it, that lineup's still difficult. But if they can keep Bregman down, I think that gives them an opportunity, the Nationals, to win. Um, you know, every championship's got that third-line grinder. You know, somebody that uh, has a big series. You know, the Pat Borders, the Ed Spraggs, um, you know, the the Fernando Pisanis, uh so somebody uh, maybe more uh, or a little bit more unheralded uh, will be the difference here at some point in, in one or two of these games that will we'll decide the factor. I think they're pretty even. Um, like I said, the, the fact that Cole gets to go game one is, is game changing for the Astros. So, Okay, so give me quickly a key for the Astros to win this series and a key for the Nationals to win this series. The Astros' key is is going to be uh, they're going to need to have their bullpen produce. Uh, their bullpen's going to need to throw up some zeros. Um, not that they're not very good, but if there is uh, an Achilles tendon on the Astros, and we saw we saw it with Osuna and Lemayhu hitting that bomb, is there may be a vulnerability in the bullpen and their arms. Um, so, you know, if Washington can get into that bullpen and expose it. Uh oh. So yeah. Houston needs a good bullpen outing. Uh, seven game series. You got to expect. They have six a better bullpen than the Nationals, though, right? Do you think? Uh, you know, I mean, perhaps in the regular season and on paper. Uh, but what I've seen of the Nationals bullpen okay. with Rainey and Doolittle throwing ninety five and a hundred, and not that yeah, you know, I mean the the Astros have those kind of guys too. But this Rainey kid, man, he's ready to go. He looks like he's ready to go. This is yeah. prime time, moment time for him. They've got Hudson, Doolittle, and Rainey. Um, confident in themselves not that they're running on momentum but i think there's a confidence in that bullpen that uh, maybe i didn't think that they had uh, initially in the playoffs i mm-hmm. didn't think that maybe they're as deep as they were um it, the key for the nationals is making sure fernando roddy doesn't pitch very much yeah <laughs> no but kidding. uh the key for the nationals is is scoring on verlander and granky whatever happens with cole happens with cole mm-hmm. is they got they got they got to beat verlander if they can beat yeah. Verlander and score runs and get into that bullpen in game two, if if let's say Scherzer and Cole go mono and mono and go nutso zeros, it's a wash. Mm-hmm. Not, the Nationals need to get into that bullpen. So they need to score off Verlander and Granke, and they need to try and do it early. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key to their series is scoring early runs off the two and three of the Houston Astros. Well, and the Astros could look really different after this World Series too. Well, both teams could look different. Rendon. Uh, Strasburg could be gone from the the Nationals. 
and Garrett Cole. Um, everybody thinks it's an automatic. This guy's going to go play for uh, the Angels and uh, Joe Madden and Mike Trout. So, uh, I mean, other, if you're the Angels, you get your checkbook. Yeah, you just like, like, give him whatever what, he wants. What, yeah. what do you need? Here's What's your address? Check. We'll back the Brinks trucks really? up to it and, really? and unload it. The other cool thing is that in this series, you could be, well, you are watch, you're going to be watching the AL Cy Young winner because it's going to be Verlander. Uh, we just talked about uh, um, Bregman as an uh, AL MVP candidate. And Jordan Alvarez, rookie, rookie of the year. He's you know, the, the the interesting thing is the Astros as a whole didn't hit that well against the Yankees. Like they struck out fifty four times yeah. in a in a six game series, and I think they hit like less than one eighty. But two, they just had the clutch hits when they needed two them. Two extra then. innings. That's, wins, yeah, that's that's know? what it comes down to. It very easily could be the Yankees that have, that yeah, have they could have won Game Seven yeah. last night if there was one. But to the the Correa home run and the Altuve home run. That's the difference in that series. Yep. Do the Nationals have the you know, will Soto and Rendon step up in those clutch situations the way the Astros play? That's what I think, you know, because the pitching is the pitching. It's going to be which guys, which star players are going to step up in those clutch situations. You know, what? One, one thing that maybe will help the Nationals is the fact that uh, Victor Robles has had a little bit more time to get that leg going, okay. get that leg ready. Uh, dangerous player, uh, explosive player, a guy that can run the ball of the yard. Uh, typically, he's hitting in the in the eight hole, so before the pitcher. So there's a dangerous guy. You got to get out. Uh, he did very well in the eight hole this year for the Nationals. So when they're playing in Washington, um, you know, having that kind of uh, the the knowledge of how to hit in the eight hole is something. Uh, when you're an American League player hitting in the eight hole with the pitcher coming up, they can kind of pitch around you and do some different things. You maybe don't have a, as much experience. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a deal breaker? No, but if you have a guy that knows how to hit in the eight hole. Uh, in that situation, it's it's an advantage over the team, the other team that doesn't have that yeah. uh, experience. So I think Victor Robles could play a part. You know, really good legs. He can play the short game. You know, he's a doubles guy. He can hit the ball of the ballpark. Plays really good defense. Um, if if he's working at full capacity, that's a good thing for Washington. Lastly, this is the World Series, so you have the American League versus the National League. Obviously, the the Nationals have uh, uh, the advantage in that department because they get to throw another hitter in their lineup uh, when they go to Houston, whereas the Astros have to take a hitter out of their lineup when they go to to Washington. So is that always the automatic advantage for the National League team in that situation? Because they get a bonus as as opposed to something taken away. Plus, you know, their pitchers do know how to hit somewhat more than... than, Well, Scherzer can swing it a bit. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, like Justin Verlander, um, when's the last time he even had an at-bat, right? right? So that's an obvious advantage for the Nationals, right? Yeah, there there is a small small piece of that for sure. And, and, you know, we're not getting into whose pitching staff swings it better is going to decide this World Series. But Scherzer is a gamer at the plate. You know, that could help. That could help their offense. Yeah. So is the guy who's going to be hitting for uh, exactly, Scherzer. Right, right, exactly. In, that, in that in that spot, right? At that point, you get uh, you get probably a Michael Taylor in there. Somebody, um, yeah. You know, and Robles stays in center. They may go to Taylor. He's got he's got the ability to hit the ball, the ballpark. Um, you know, maybe Zimmerman goes to DH and they put somebody else defensively mm-hmm. there. So... Um, it, it, do, it does help the, the Nationals uh, to maybe move some things around and, and create a better defensive situation for themselves. Um, and, and you're right, Houston's used to doing it, so who comes out of the lineup? You got Yuli Guriel and, and Jordan, um, and Jordan hasn't had a great playoff. Um, right, I, yeah, I expect so he's probably ahead. the guy that comes, comes out, out and Yuli stays in. So. Well, less experience, right? Yeah. You know, put, yeah. And, then, and then you have uh, Alvarez to come off the bench um, during the game. When yeah, you not need. a bad weapon. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, we'd love to hear your predictions uh, for the World Series. You can get us on Twitter at Prospects Pod. You can get Jordan at Jordan Blendell 4. I'm at Duck Millard. And of course, you can follow everything with the Eminent Prospects at EDM Prospects. Check out our website at prospectsbaseballshow.ca. And for tickets for next year and all the news on the team, check out the Eminent Prospects website at prospectsbaseballclub.com. You can also email us, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. We want to get your top five clutch baseball playoff performers. That's what we're going to be doing a little bit later in our top five. Uh, We're going to get Jeff White's in a second when we uh, speak to him. He is the head coach in Okanagan. But send us your top five playoff clutch performers. You can either get us on Twitter at ProspectsPod, at Jordan Blundell 4, or at Duck Millard, or you can email us, ProspectsShow, at gmail.com. All right, let's bring in our first and only guest of the day. Play ball! Very pleased to welcome to the Prospects Baseball Show uh, the head coach in Okanagan uh, for the Okanagan College Coyotes. Uh, Jeff White is joining us on the show. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the program today. How are you? Things are good. Thanks for having me, guys. Not a problem. So, um, first of all, um, Jordan and you were teammates, and, and I believe roommates at some point. Um, I tried to scare Jordan today uh, with all my Halloween decorations. Um, are you a big Halloween guy? Are you, are you getting into this? Uh, would you ever pull Halloween pranks on Jordan when you guys live together? No, I, you know, I, I'm not really a huge Halloween guy, but, uh, it's definitely something that with having kids that you kind of can't avoid, but, uh, I, I don't recall ever trying to scare Jordan. He probably scared me more than anything, maybe with other stuff that happened. Aside from Halloween, but uh, <laughs> you know, we, we really didn't spend too much time in Halloween college when we lived together. Yeah, no, it uh, it was a fun a fun experience living with you, Jeff, and it was a great time playing with you as a teammate. I remember uh, Jeff uh, started uh, our our my junior season, his sophomore season. No, sorry, my senior season, his junior season. We we were playing our rival in Dakota State. It was the first game of conference, uh, opening up the conference season. So we'd have played uh, some spring games down south. Uh, I believe we were in South Carolina that year. I had a good run down there, beat some Division Two teams. Uh, Jamestown's an NAI program with which has had tremendous success. So anyway, Jeff uh, Jeff gets the nod on uh, the 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 opening day for a conference, and he goes into Dakota State and and no hits them. Wow, um, and, and there was a big play in, in right field to save the no hitter, just like a typical no hitter. Um, our Altuve at the time, his name is Chad Christensen. He was about five foot six, a little little uh, energy ball and 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 hustler and all that kind of stuff. And he was fully laid out to make this play. He ended up winning that game one nothing. Uh, we ended up being like uh, f- full forty five and nine on the season, but that really set the tone. And that that was Whitey man. He he would deal for us so. We get into a little nostalgia there and some memories, Jeff. But uh, just, well, sorry, just a second. Did anybody come and talk to you at all during your no hitter? You know what? It's funny. I, I I recall that that game and my first ba- our first baseman is in California. He he said to me in like <laughs> I think it was the sixth. He's like, "Hey, don't wreck this." Oh my goodness! Like, all right, like. 
fair enough. Like, <laughs> that was the type of guy he was. It right? was. That's yeah. classic Schultzy move. Like, right was he there. joking? Really, He's probably I really serious. It really didn't. I was kind of like, ah, whatever. Like, all right, let's go here. Like, let's keep going. It's cold out. Let's get the game over with. Like, yeah, that sounds like Whitey just getting you know, a job to do, get done. But <laughs> that also sounds like our first baseman, yeah, no Schultz. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll get into the present day. I know we'll bounce back and forth with a couple of things, but you know, I wanted to 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 ask you to tell our listeners a little bit more about the Canadian College Baseball Conference, Jeff, and. Um, what what is the Canadian College Baseball Conference, uh, and what uh, like what does your program provide players, uh, you know, Canadian or outside of Canada, uh, as far as being able to play in that league? Um, you know, the CCBC. I guess we're in our this is our our twenty first year. It's definitely grown, um, and definitely improved significantly over the years. More so, I'd say in the last five years, it's really kind of taken another step forward. But I think what it would ultimately provide is, is a really good option for players um, to pursue a really good education. That's one of the, the biggest ticket items for me that I see within our league is, you know, we got some some outstanding academic institutions that, you know, have some great credentials and provide guys with, you know, fantastic degrees and, you know, trade certificates and all that type of stuff, which is, you know, a really, really big benefit to our league. Um, so it's really providing that first as a, a major benefit. And I think the baseball side of things is starting to catch up where, you know, the league's getting better, more players, more players are out of staying in Canada as opposed to going, you know, to the U.S. And, you know, each program, you know, trying to develop, you know, what they offer players. And, you know, something that we try to offer as a program is, you know, a, a significant schedule, you know, a schedule that is challenging against, you know, some U.S. competition. And so it's really going in a, a positive direction. It's, it's, it's just, taken some time so far you know since we've joined the league so i i guess this is a question kind of for for both of you and um jordan we'll let jeff chime in first and then you can uh give your opinion on this and and you mentioned about you know canadian kids staying home um is that the exception to the rule right now and do you ever see a point in time where the best canadian baseball players are staying in canada to uh you know uh try to prolong and, and create a, a major league baseball career. Do you think that can happen in Canada? I, I don't think it will, it'll ever keep the best players here. I don't think we'll ever get there. There's just too much lure down South and too many, you know, we just can't compete with, you know, major U S programs and what they can offer players in terms of, you know, the, the entire package, you know, from financials to facilities to schedule you know, it's a, just a level of competition. I don't think we'll ever get there. But I think you'll, you'll start seeing more players that are on the fringe or the cost of going to some some U.S. programs, maybe, you know, some D2s and some top junior colleges and stuff like that. Players in that that kind of that range will, will start staying at home more and more, I think. And I think that's already started. That trend's already started. But it's, uh, I, I don't think we'll ever get there. You know, we, we just can't compete with, 
you know, those, those major, major programs down there. And weather. Yeah, and weather. In some well, cases. Weather's a, a big one for us. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, not all programs are, you know, in Florida and in California where you get that great weather. You know, it can be cold in the Midwest and then it can be cold in Central America and you obviously deal with weather down there. And um, it's an interesting point that you bring up that, that maybe we, it will never get to the level of, of your major D1s. And, and I, I agree with you on that. Um, you know, there's, there's a lure about, you know, UCLA or Sacramento or University of Texas, Arkansas, the SEC. Florida, things like that. You know, if you're able to get down there, for sure, it's, uh, it's something that you want to, you know, push yourself towards. Um, and, and then you look at guys that, you know, may or may not have the ability to, to have a long pro career. They may be able to get into the, the lower levels uh, like you were able to, Jeff. And I think the level of, of the CCBC has improved enough to where um, the players that are actually doing their due diligence of, of where – what program will give them the best opportunity to potentially pursue playing professionally? Uh, that the CCBC has gained some traction as a, a viable option for players. You know, Jeff spoke about the schedule that they play. Um, you know, they they play as tough a schedule as as any program. They've got some big time U.S. schools on there, some ranked, some some high level schools uh, that their guys get a chance to play against. And you know, and the, uh, other American schools only play them just as much as the Okanagan Coyotes would play them. So um, there, there's some big-time programs just south of the border down in Washington State, um, and I know Jeff's had had them on their schedule in the past. You know, when I was at VI, we we played some teams down there, and at the time, the NWAC didn't have uh, maybe the recognition they deserved. They're now uh, There's now a central scouting for junior colleges, and a couple of the northern programs in Washington State are ranked. Um, and those were the teams that I would take VI down to play. And, you know, we'd stay with them for a game, game and a half, and then we'd get pumped uh, with our depth not being the same as theirs. And they're top 25 junior college. So um, not everybody that goes down to the States plays top-end competition like that. And we were able to have VI, and I know Jeff's been able to do that at, at Okanagan College. Um, Jeff, tell us a little bit about the process, you know, this fall, which is probably similar to all the falls. But what was your process this year? Um, kind of day one, how, how do you start fall ball? Um, what are your goals as a program from day one to, to maybe where we're at now that's, you know, six, seven weeks into the fall ball process? Um, you know, like day one is probably very similar to, you know, the majority of programs uh, across North America. You know, we have a team meeting, kind of get settled, introduce everyone to, you know, the other players and team rules and all that type of stuff. Um, and then we kind of get into it right away. You know, this year we've changed our focus in the fall, um, where we're, we're doing more competitive situations. You know, it's definitely, um, once we got rolling with, you know, practice and how we go about, you know, our routines and what we need to do to be successful, we really started getting into, like I said, some more competitive situations where we're doing like scripted inter squad games where, there's different scenarios thrown out at players. Um, and, and then we really started looking at, you know, and we all we have always done this, looked at, you know, what do we need to do to be successful within our league? You know, there's certain things that, that I see that for us to, to really have a shot at the championship, we need to do certain things. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why we started looking at scripted games and trying to give guys as much live experience as possible you know 
focusing on base running, competitive at bats, and competitive innings for pitchers. Where you know, now they're dealing with base runners consistently, and you know, just putting that much more pressure uh, on our on our players just to help them, you know, move along this process as quick as possible. And you know, our program has changed dramatically in, in the last, you know, three, five, seven years, where we have a lot of older a lot more older players in our program, so we don't necessarily have to spend as much time as we used to on, on certain aspects, where now it's, it's more so how do we compete, what do we need to do here to be successful, and how do we go about practicing that and getting the, the right amount of, of practice or you know competitive settings to, to improve our players. So it, it's, really, it's really kind of a an ever-changing process the fall for us. You know, we have a bigger bigger roster this fall as well. So, you know, we've we played like probably like 40, 45 games now with their squads this fall. It's been super busy uh, trying to get everyone, you know, at bats and innings on the mound and all that type of stuff. So it's it's really changing, though, really quickly with, you know, um, the development models that we're going through with, um, you know, developing our players and, trying to give them enough time to develop and, you know, older guys are, are being shut down earlier in the fall so they can start the process in the weight room and, and start in the throwing programs earlier, you know, because we start so early in February. We're, we're always facing the time crunch. It seems like, you know, where, where did we ever get this, this opportunity to develop our players? You know, we, we're busy in the fall, we're on the field, you know, some guys maybe not, don't need as much time on the field and maybe need more focus on the weight room and, so it's it's ever changing right now. It seems like, but definitely this fall, it's 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 been a really good opportunity for us to see where we're at, you know, and and it also gives me an opportunity as well to start looking at you know next year's roster. At this time, you know, we're whatever six seven weeks in. I, I start looking at you know what do we need for next year in terms of recruiting. That, that's another big aspect right now is where, where do I see our our program next fall and what are our needs for us. To, to be competitive so it, it, it's it's changing so quickly right now we are speaking with uh, jeff white the head coach of the okanagan college coyotes you can find them on twitter at yotes baseball uh we had uh, ethan elias on from uh, the eminent trappers uh recently and uh, we're talking about building teams um you know how do you recruit where do your players come from you're you're in the okanagan are the majority of your players from bc and do you recruit from out east or there ever any American players that want to come up and play? Uh, where do the majority of your players come from? Um, so we're probably right now about half BC, um, and then the other half would probably be like Alberta and the rest of Canada. We're we're getting more and more players from out east, from Ontario, and um, we've we've had some players in the past from you know the Atlantic area, but that kind of seems like it's dipped off a little bit but we're getting the majority of our guys from from bc alberta saskatchewan and, and ontario predominantly and uh again that changes and it's kind of a never evolving process as well the recruiting standpoint of things so it, it's definitely a challenge sometimes you know to find these players you know it, it's not like the U.S. where, you know, you go to a major city and you have all these players to pick from, you know, there's not, uh, you know, that many kids 
playing you know high level baseball in Canada. So it really presents some unique challenges, and then you factor in you know the players that are you know at the top of their leagues or top of their programs. They're you know they're being recruited by you know other schools in the U.S. And like I said before, they're kind of on the fringe. You know, you're sure facing some challenges there. Um, so it's, it's really changing quickly on where we get guys each year. It's, it's a lot easier to recruit from out of Ontario just because there isn't that many more people uh, out there and there's that many more teams. And so it, it's kind of coming from all over the place right now. Well, Jeff, uh, I wanted to touch on, uh, you know, the players that you do have right now and, and you know, their possibilities of moving forward in the game. Um, for example, uh, you know, potential draft or uh, independent league signees or independent league tryouts um, and, and just kind of what the evolution has been for, for you in Kelowna with the Okanagan College Coyotes program, um, how you've seen that grow over the last few years. Um, I know you had a player last year that ha- brought some interest from scouts and, and you know, the old trickle-down effect happens from uh, guys coming to see your pitcher that was pretty special, and now they get a chance to see some of your other guys and some other interest starts to grow uh, for some of your other players. Just want you to uh, kind of share with our listeners and touch on you know the growth of the interest in some of your players that you know have chosen to stay in Canada and uh, the growth and interest in your program from professional ranks. Yeah, it's. Um it was a really interesting process last year with, with, with Trevor, Trevor Brigden, who was, was our first player drafted. Um, you know, he really set the bar for our pitching staff, you know, over the, really the course of the three years. And it, it was really interesting to see him develop. You know, I, I thought he was going to have a shot, you know, in his second year with our program. And it, it just didn't happen. He just didn't kind of, you know, make the jump to the next level where he was consistently, you know, in you know low mid nineties type thing, which where he ended up his third year. But it's been interesting how, it, it, like you said, it has trickled down. Where you know we we do have players within our roster this year that do have interest, and I think that really started from where Trevor got to and guys looking up to him and going, hey, like, if I really put my time into this and develop and, you know, there is opportunities for me here. And it really opened up some eyes as these teams came to see our program for probably the first time play. See that, hey, we we do have some players and we we do have a a credible program that, you know, is good competitive baseball. And there's guys that, uh, you know, are maybe – starting to get some interest around the top, but they probably had never seen them play before. So it really, really changed things. And, um, you know, the credibility to our program and, you know, when we call, call teams and say, Hey, I got a guy that, you know, does this and this and this, and they go, Oh, well, keep us posted, send us some videos and stuff. That never happened before. And, um, it really shows the evolution of our program and the culture that we've been trying to create here where, you know, you, can get to these next levels of baseball if if you put the time in. So it's been, it was a really interesting process with, with Trevor and how it really trickled down into our next wave of players and them aspiring to that level. Well, and and when you're 
not coaching your players and, and you're not playing, uh, you know, they're not going to college. You're looking for other places for them to play as well. And uh, that's where the maybe the Western Canadian Baseball League and particularly Jordan's Edmonton Prospects uh, comes into play. Um, you know, what do you like about the WCBL? Um, the relationship you have with Jordan obviously helps to know uh, that you're sending players uh, to a team that's going to be coached by a quality person. Uh, but your thoughts on uh, the the summer college league that we have here in Edmonton and, and uh, throughout Western Canada and maybe hoping it expands. Uh, maybe it expands into Manitoba and expands into BC at some point. I'm not really sure, but what are your thoughts on that, Jeff? Uh, you know, it's a it's a great destination for, for college players. Um, I think it's a really good destination for our CCBC players in specific. It, it provides uh, maybe a little bit of a step up in competition and consistently facing good competition. Um, I, I, I like what it provides in terms of the, the overall, you know, picture of or, you know, atmosphere of college baseball, summer college baseball. You know, you've got these great programs with some great facilities, you know, especially in Alberta. you got, you know, with Edmonton and Oaks Oaks and Med Hat and Lester, just great facilities for guys to, to play in, which is obviously nice. Um, I, I think the, the schedule is, is great. Uh, I, I do have some, uh, you know, I, summer baseball is a little bit different animal. You know, it's, it's a, a grind, you know, it's consistently playing day in, day out. And the, the schedule sometimes can be excruciating on players. You know, we've had lots of players play in the West Coast League here in, in Kelowna and some of the challenges is the length of schedule, right? But it's, it's great from my perspective. You know, guys get, you know, a lot of opportunity to play day in, day out. So um, the, the league's important to, to players' development. And when I look at, you know, what are our guys doing this summer, you know, there, there's two really different streams we look at and what are, what are our players' needs. And particularly for our older players, you know, our third, fourth, we have, we have five years in our league now. So the the – Western Canadian Baseball League is a great spot for our older guys who need to compete and get that experience against, you know, good players and, face, you know, live that little kind of minor league life where you're day in, day out, like I said, and there's fans and there's, you know, all kinds of travel involved. It's a great experience for guys. But our, our other stream of players are not, are not ready for that yet. And, the development model comes in and some of our guys need, you know, take summer off, do lifting, you know, whether it's being in a cage or doing all these different things um, to get, to get ready for those summers when they're playing summer collegiate baseball. So it's really, it's really a, a excellent fit, you know, for our players at OC here and and our CCGC players where it's, it's definitely a challenge. It's a, a little bit of an eye opener sometimes for some of our guys that think they're they're ready to play there, and then they go there and they don't perform, or you know, they're like like I said, they experience this day in day out grind where it, it's a challenge, right? So it's a perfect spot for our group of players, our, our top group of players need to be playing in that league and getting opportunities to play in that league. And it seems like we've had some. I was looking back, and you know how some of our CCBC players have done in, in your guys' league there. And 
you know, hit and miss, which is which is fine. You know, some guys do really well, some guys struggle, which is you know, it is what it is. But I, I think overall, the, the CCBC players are are contributing to the league, which which is great. Uh, big time contributors, Jeff, and and you know what we deal with that with uh, American programs too. Some some guys do well, some guys don't do well. Uh, their numbers down south might be, um, you know, obviously we're recruiting guys that have good numbers. We're not, we're not you know jumping out on a limb very often on guys that didn't have good years, and and that doesn't always translate for American born players, and that doesn't always translate for CCBC players, and and it's one and the same for sure. So. Um, and I like how you brought up the facilities and, and that gives me an opportunity to touch on your experience in Alberta. Um, I know you've seen some of the facilities and, and, uh, I wanted to, to let people know about, uh, your stint with the Edmonton Cracker Cats and, and I've got a really good story about that. Uh, so Jeff, Jeff ended up playing a year for the, for the Cracker Cats, um, uh, as a rookie in the Northern Northern League, Jeff led the Cracker Cats in innings pitched. Um, and a, a really cool story is that uh, Jeff's first start in, in at the time, Telus Field, which is Remax Field now. Jeff's throwing, um, he's got the ball. It's, a, it's his first start in pro baseball. Um, and so I'm in town and I get a chance to come down to the yard. And, and so I'm walking around the, con- or the, uh, the deck inside the stands uh, just above the balcony seats. And I hear somebody yell out, George, George. You know, and I, I don't know who it is. You know, I give it a look-see, and it's tough. There's a, there, there wasn't a ton of people there, unfortunately, and that's kind of the way it was uh, back in the day a little bit. But I look up, and, and there, you know, there's uh, Jeff's dad, Steve-O, and, and Steve-O and I had a good relationship from back in the day, so I ended up getting a chance to watch Steve-O's son throw his first uh, professional outing in Edmonton, uh, it was a pleasure for me to be there for you, buddy, and and uh, I had a great time with your dad. Uh, you, you know your dad and I have a great relationship, and it was good to see him. Um, so I wanted to to also bring up a couple of the guys that we had from from Okanagan College last year, and and check on check with you on how they're doing now. Uh, last year we had a local product from Spruce Grove, Jesse Ponawazic. Um, Jesse was. Uh, really valuable arm for us last year and, and uh, kind of was a swing guy and, and basically a guy that uh, did a job for us whenever we needed a job to get done. Uh, had a really successful summer. Uh, and we also had uh, an infielder of yours uh, who's from, I believe, Etobicoke, Ontario, um, Brendan Luther. Um, I've got a good story. I better, I better tell this story really quick. So Luther was uh, kind of a, a early season addition. He wasn't on the original roster. Um, and I was looking to replace a player that had left our program. And I was really looking for a Canadian infielder. So I got in touch with Coach White at Okanagan College and uh, as well with some other play- people and, and looking for players. And, and I asked Jeff if he had somebody. He said, look, I've, I've got this kid. And I said, okay, what's the deal? What's he do? How, you know, give me the lay down. And, and so Jeff tells me about him. Uh, and it wasn't that long after uh, we, we made the deal. We, we got him on a contract and we got him out here. Now, the funny story, the cool story is, is we were in Okotoks at the time and we were on our six-day Alberta trip. So we went, you know, Fort Mac uh, through Edmonton to Okotoks down into Med Hat and then Lethbridge. And uh, we were we were going to be leaving. We were in Okotoks. And, and so I, I, I told Brandon, this is what you need to do to get here. Um we're in a major center. Calgary's not that far, so you'd be able to fly in. So what he ended up doing is Brennan jumped on a plane, went from Kelowna to Calgary, 
And then he took an Uber out to the hotel in Okotoks, met us. I mean, we were about 15 minutes away from shoving off to, to the next destination. You know, I give the, give uh, Brent a lot of credit. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but when, when you're a ball player, it's what you do. Uh, you know, Brendan showed up, he, he knew one player and now he's on the bus with the fellas and we're going down to play. And, um, you know, I put him in the lineup that night, Med Hat and, and I, do you know, Jeff, like <laughs> I've never had a player make as big of an impression, you know, uh, Brendan's first few games with us, it, it was like, he, he couldn't not get on base, uh, hits, doubles, stolen bases, read balls in the dirt, you know, bunt singles. Um, and, and Jeff had told me I was going to like him, and, and, you know, what a, what a great start. And I did like him. So, um, just wanted to, to let, let everybody know about the couple guys that we had this year and, and, you know, we're hopeful to get them back as well as some other, other kids. Um, Jeff, what, uh, what was your favorite memory of playing in, in, in Edmonton when you were with the Cracker Cats? Oh, uh, wow. Well, um, you know, when I went to Edmonton, it was, I'll, I'll just do a quick little backstory. Like I, I got on that team literally through an email and, I was given an opportunity to go to their, you know, you had a kind of a spring training, you want to call it, where that's how I got on the team. I went to the spring training kind of, you know, naive to what it was. I had an idea, obviously, what the Northern League was after, you know, playing in, in Jamestown and the Fargo Redhawks. And, you know, we had a former teammate playing Winnipeg. So I had an idea of what the league was, but, you know, it, it really – came about from an email that hey uh, I, I want to try out and they responded they actually responded to me and I met the I can't remember the name of the general manager I think it was his name was Dean at the time and he met me in Vernon of all places to sign this contract which I was like elated like I was I was realistic on what I was I, you know I wasn't making the big leagues and stuff like that but it was kind of like me making the big leagues because I got to sign this professional contract and so fast forward you know I my first appearance in Pellet, it came out of the bullpen, and it was against a former teammate. And this is, I can't remember if this is the second or third game of the season, but I Pellet is a, is a massive park. It's a great place to pitch, unless it's your first appearance. And it was, I came in relief, bases loaded, against a teammate of Jordan and I, Frank Kraus. And he hit a grand slam off my <laughs> first batter I faced in Pellet. And it, it went to the left, right to the left of the of the center field wall there. You know, that wall is massive, right? It, like, went over right there. Like, it was a massive shot. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to be toast here, like, tomorrow. And so, anyways, I remember that, obviously, very, very vividly. Yeah. That, that, and, but I, I love playing at Pellet. And Jordan knows me well that I'm not the prototypical pitcher where I just sit back and shag baseballs. I, I love taking ground balls on, on Telus Field. You know, we, I used to spend a lot of time, you know, just hanging out in the field and, you know, practicing whether it's taking ground balls or running. I used to do my conditioning on, on the field when, you know, I, I arrive at the field at 12 o'clock and I used to run bases there as conditioning. So I hated running on a treadmill or just running around, you know, the city. I, I, I'd rather do something more specific. So I, I spent a lot of time actually doing my conditioning there, running stairs and all that fun stuff. So it, it's definitely a, a spot that that's uh, 
that's dear to me, obviously, because of what it provided for me. But uh, it's funny, you guys had Al Coast on your podcast there a couple of weeks ago, and it brought back some memories of, of the Edmonton Cracker Cats, that's for sure. So it's, it's a great spot. Yeah, he was the uh, the GM and the uh, play-by-play guy, he was telling me. He, didn't, he was telling us he didn't want to be uh, the uh, GM, but uh, that was the... Uh, the position um, given to him if he wanted to do uh, the play-by-play. So uh, that was your taste of pro ball. And now we have the uh, biggest seven games in pro baseball about to start tomorrow. The World Series is set. Um, First of all, um, how surprised are you that the Nationals are in this position? I don't think anybody's surprised that the Astros are here, but um, what do you think of this Nationals run? It's impressive, you know, and... I was blown away the Dodgers, bro. The Dodgers were so good. Like, I was really disappointed, to be honest. I was kind of a closet Dodgers fan. So it's uh, it's impressive, though. But when you you run out some quality arms and you you get a you know, Anibal Sanchez, you know, kind of having his moment in his career right now, it's really kind of put them on the map. I think they're in a good spot right now. It'll be it'll be an interesting World Series. I really hope it goes it goes Game Seven, like. <laughs> That's all I wish for in sports, game sevens or elimination games. But it, uh, it's impressive. It's uh, definitely impressive what Nationals are doing. Well, I think the uh, the Astros really did themselves a favor winning game six, obviously. But uh, the, the not-so-obvious part of that is that Garrett Cole gets to go game one versus throwing in game seven and then being pushed back to game three or four of the World Series if they were to have advanced. And, and for the Astros, if you don't throw Cole till game three or four, that means you've seen Scherzer, Strasburg, and possibly Corbin already before you even get to Cole to match up. And you might be down 2-1 or 3-0 already at that point because that's how good those other guys have thrown. So um, that was huge for the Astros strategically that they'll be able to go Cole versus Scherzer. I'm not sure that there's a possible better matchup on the planet right now than Cole Scherzer. Uh, and I know it's not mono a mono, but it kind of is. I probably put Strasburg ahead of Scherzer right now. Wow, Dean. The way he's been wow, pitching. Wow, Dean. Look at Strasburg in the playoffs, man. The guy <laughs> has been, not to say Max Scherzer hasn't because he's taken no, no hitters in the sevens, but I, I think it just speaks to the to the talent the that, that people don't realize the Nationals have, right, Jeff? Absolutely. Like, they're, both teams, you know, have, have two, three elite starters. Yeah. And that's where... Right. I think the Yankees missed out, you yeah. know, and it, it really ended up catching up with them. They're kind of sneaking through the playoffs there, the first little bit off, off their bat, you know, but and a couple of good performances, but ultimately it, it caught up with them, I thought, and where the Astros and, and Nationals, they consistently thrown out, you know, quality pitching, and it, it's very difficult when they, when they do that. So it's, uh, it's been interesting, you know. I, I haven't been fortunate enough to watch, you know, games from start to finish. And we've been on the field, or I get to see, you know, a couple of innings here and there. But it's, uh, I was so pumped when DJ LeMay hit that home run last other night there. Yeah. Off the post, you know, it was such a great moment. And then for Altuve to win it, it was, it's just exciting, you know. That's why, you know, as a baseball person, you enjoy watching the game, and being a part of it. You know, you, you want those moments. It just seems like DJ Mayhew now is like the ultimate Yankee. Like, <laughs> yeah, he had he his moment, from, right? He had his moment, and he's like, you know, he, I don't know. It just seems like he's he's like such a Yankee now, like clean shaven, you know, 
is this a tough at bat? He kind of seems like a robot. He doesn't really show emotion. He just just dynamite player. He's been great to watch. I, I like watching him, and yeah. I like how he's versatile. Yeah, per- perfect fit. And that's, that's the name of the game almost nowadays is, is having that versatility. And, and uh, I like how you brought up the Yankees pitching staff and, and them not maybe having enough in the starting pitching uh, realm. And, and I've got a couple things for you, Jeff, I wanted to get your take on. One was um, how much money is, is Garrett Cole going to get? You know, he's got a blank check here with the Angels, the Astros, the Yankees, the Phillies, you know, the Dodgers. I mean, is 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 he going to break forty mil a year? <laughs> yeah, I'm the worst for trying to estimate on what guys should get paid. Because, well, I don't know I if they should are, get paid forty million. I mean, they valued, they should but, because there's that much money in the game. But I mean, forty like more than a million dollars to start. I mean, that's that's just awesome for the guys. I mean, I love it for them, but yeah, I think right now it's like 32 to 35 is kind of the market for the very top. And I think, I think Kershaw's 32. Um, and that's based on what he was, maybe not what he is now. So it's about a million dollars to start where guys are at, you know, he's going to want to elevate yeah, he, that. He, he's got to be what late twenties. I don't know Doc's birthday on that guy, but yeah, he's, he, uh, he kind of got five more years of, domination here so he's gonna get whatever he wants i think it's gonna be uh pretty astronomical i think what he ends up getting it'll be 35 north 35 mil a year it'll uh-huh. have to be he's 29 he's only 29 pay. he's only 29 years old so you're right he's kind of getting into his prime right yeah so he's got four or five more years here like so he's gonna get he's gonna get paid here well, and you really look at well. you look at like guys like Scherzer and Verlander and some of these big time guys that have extended their careers past that you know thirty four, thirty five year old when pitchers are start, supposed to start breaking down. There's been some big time arms like Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling. The playoff performing arms have been have ended up being older. Um, the other point yeah. I wanted to bring up with you was with the Yankees and the pitching staff is. Um, you know, there was a, there was a comment made that, that, uh, you know, the Yankees, but Cashman didn't feel like Stroman was going to be a, a, enough of a difference maker for their rotation to pursue at the deadline. And as you brought up and, and I share that same opinion is they were a little bit short on the mound. Um, I think Marcus Stroman probably would have helped them at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have taken him. Me too. <laughs> Me neither. I think he would have helped I, them. I'm not a Stroman fan. I think he's a great pitcher, but I there's other guys out there I'd take over him. Yeah, I think he would have helped them in the excuse-making department because that's what I think Marcus Stroman is good at is uh, is bringing up excuses <laughs> of why things... He's got pretty good numbers. Yeah, he's got okay numbers, yeah. Um, okay, so I, I don't think anybody would put Marcus Stroman in their top five clutch playoff baseball players of all time. Maybe Jordan, because he had R.A. Dickey in his top five starters of all time. 2012 Just R. the 2012 R.A. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I think Jose Altuve is going to be in there for or a lot of people. Just before we get to your top five clutch baseball playoff performers of all time, uh, you, you talked about that. I was listening to that game on the radio. We were watching a hockey game at a buddy, so I put the game on the radio, and, and when DJ hit that home run, I was like, God, oh, this is awesome. I yeah. can't wait. And then Altuve just ends it. Like, just <laughs> just ends it with, like, one swing of the no bat. No doubter. What did you think of Altuve on uh, Saturday night? And, you know, this is a guy who was cut by the Astros, told he was too short, kept coming back, said, let me play. You got to watch me. And here he's hit two of the bigger home runs in franchise history. It's it's fun to watch. It, 
what a great like underdog story he is. You know, and he's like everyone loves an underdog story, but he's really proven himself now that you know the last couple of years here that the, the guy's a real deal, and he's on pace here to be like Hall of Fame type player here. Yeah. And what he's done for for the Astros and bringing that organization back to prominence, it's you know he's a big part of it. He kind of goes behind the wayside right now with some of their big performers, but like that double play he turned with Correa the other night. Was, off the chart like, yeah you know so impressive what he brings to the table you know aside from you know obviously the big home run and that he, he looks like a guy that would be would be a great teammate and a lot of fun to play with like you need to watch that guy day in and day out and what he can do like especially like some of the defensive side of things like awesome entertainment <laughs> yeah five foot six inches of uh you know total yeah, domination at times yeah um okay so let's get to your five your top five uh, playoff performers, the most clutch players in uh, Major League Baseball history. Start with five and uh, give us down to number one and the reasons why. Uh, this wasn't easy. You know, there's so many crazy playoff <laughs> moments, but my number five is Aaron Boone's walk-off home run. All right. Go to the World Series. Yeah. That was no four. Well, that ended up that ended up getting him a job. You know, the fact that when he busted up his knee, he went to management, and told him the truth. This is what yeah. happened, and that moment has led to where he's at now after being like seven years in broadcasting. Yeah. So, you know, you do good things. They put him into Yankees yeah. folklore, so, yeah. and he kind of was unheard of at the time. Yeah, it's um, it supplanted it uh, implanted his uh, his savage. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> savage nickname. Like he he was savage before he went off on the umpire this year. Uh, number four, I have is Kirk Gibson. Yes, even though I obviously wasn't around to see that, but the the legend of Kirk Gibson and the, that home run. I think you were. Base. I mean, you were around in '88, yeah. Jeff. He also had a clutch one in '84 for the Tigers. <laughs> what year was it? Yeah, well, he had one in '84 yeah. uh, for the Tigers. Uh, that helped them win the World Series, and then four years later, '88 with the Dodgers, the fist pump. 88. I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention to baseball oh. then. That, that's not, so, but the <laughs> the clips and the times you see that, you know, over and over, that's a obviously a big moment. Big Poppy, I have him in three. Yeah, in '04 versus the Yankees when they uh, hit that walk off home run and. And then did it again that, that night because that was after midnight and then he had a two in one day, didn't he? That's the way that played out. Yeah, because it was like, we'll see you later yeah, today. Yeah, the 11th or 12th inning and they're on the verge of elimination there and they came back and won the World Series and that was really a big moment for him and put him in Red Sox folklore as well. Cowboy up. Um, number, what do I have? Number two here? Yeah, two. I had Derek Peter. Derek Peter 01. He had a game where he had that notorious relay play to the plate. The flip play on Jami. The flip. The flip. And then he had a walk-off home run as well. Again, just cemented his his own, you know, again, being a legend in Yankees history right there. Cemented himself there forever. Yeah, thanks to Jami not sliding. uh, What's that? Thanks to Giambi not sliding yeah, on that play. Like a nice head first slide with some reach there. I mean, Oakland gets it. Anyway. 
yeah, John, we slide there. Jeter's not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, who's number, number one? And, uh, uh, for number one, I, as a Canadian, how can you not love the Joe Carter walk-off home run? There you right? go. Do you remember where you were? Were you watching? Like, do you remember that pretty vividly? Like, do you remember where you were and how things were playing out for you at that time? No. (laughs) He was right around Halloween. I remember that type of stuff. I just remember the the god awful jackets they had back then. The the apparel was (laughs) those are throwback now. They're cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're they're back in style. But yeah, yeah. Like, what ultimate moment you want? Walk off. World Series, like, is not what every kid wants to do. That's <laughs> what everybody so does in the backyard. backyard. Yeah. He lived a backyard yeah. dream of millions of people. He, yeah. he got to live it out. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I've been to, to tournament ball a couple times now to the Blue Jays thing there in the fall. And it's impressive where some of these guys hit these home runs. Like, that home run, you're like, it's not a, that wasn't a scraper. Like, no. It's a, it's a good shot. Like some of those, those hits in there, it's impressive after being there a couple times and watching kids hit on that field. It's it's impressive what these big leaguers do. Yeah, that was a no doubter. Sure. That was a no doubter uh, for sure. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Really appreciate uh, the insight. Uh, too bad we didn't get into more stories about Jordan, but we'll do that another time. Best of luck with Okanagan and enjoy the World Series. Thanks, guys. Take care. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. All right, uh, we are doing our top five most clutch playoff performers. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, a guy has to have a Hall of Fame career in the regular season. No. Uh, you know, like this is where like in hockey, there's the old John Drews, Chris Contos. You always hear about those guys that had legendary plays. Fernando Pisani in 06 yep. when he had 13 goals. Um, but most of these guys on my list um, are, they're, they're top end. You know, some of them are Hall of Fame players. Uh, so um, you go five to one. You can do your entire list and then I'll go with mine. Top five playoff clutch performers. And Kind of stems off, uh, we were talking about Altuve over the weekend. Yeah, just, right, uh, yeah. just, you know, massive clutch guy. And such a great backstory. So, who's your number five? Go five to All one. All right. Uh, well, I had to do the honorable mention because uh, five yep. wasn't enough. So, <laughs> I, got, I Josh Beckett, 2003, game six, shutout in Yankee Stadium. Complete game, nine Ks. Um, 03, you know, right in my wheelhouse. I'm still in college. Uh and he went in there with the Marlins, the complete underdog, goes yeah. into Yankee Stadium and gives them absolutely nothing. So uh, for me, I remember watching that game. That was huge. Uh, so that's my honorable mention. Number five, I got Jack Morris, 1991, game seven, 10 innings. Um, I remember watching that game too, like bits and pieces. I just remember it from my childhood as being a baseball memory that I had um, as a young baseball fan. Uh, like Jack Morris, you know, the, the bulldog on the mound, like that performance in game seven. I mean, you know, I was, I was old also enough to, pretty good with the Tigers before that. Exactly. Too, right? You know, and then the Jays subsequently later on, yeah. um, just knowing at that point, like what playoffs meant and the magnitude, uh, you know, I was 10, 11 years old at the time. 
it it was impressed upon me how important that guy was for their mm-hmm. team. Awesome, and I like the Twins in the ballpark, Metrodome, all that stuff. Uh, so the Jack, dump. the dump, I loved it. Uh, Jack Morris, ninety-one game seven is my five. Uh, in my four, I've got two thousand four, ALCS game six, Kurt Schilling, the bloody sock. Um, I remember watching that game too. Uh, what he was able to do, um, you know, and, and with all the, the controversy circling, what, was he faking it? Was it this? Was it that? You, know, you could obviously tell he couldn't move around very well on the mound. It was a little bit wet out. Um, that, you, know, you know, then you saw the blood uh, and the performance that he put down for for the Red Sox versus the Yankees um, in on route to the greatest comeback ever. And, you know, the down 3-0, um, just what, like, Magical story. What a crazy turn of events. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a guy that they were relying on to produce on the mound for them, uh, for him to take the ball under under physical duress. Uh, the bloody sock, Kurt Schilling, that's in my four. Uh, number three, Mr. October, Reggie Jackson. You know, I wasn't alive when this happened, but... Uh, you know, when you when you have a whole month uh, dedicated to you and, and people all over the world know who Mr. October is, um, three home runs, three pitches, you know, the, the <laughs> that's what he was there to do, and he did it. Uh, Mr. October, uh, clutch, clutch what, what a clutch day, like single-handedly won them a World Series game, um, you know, and then, and then you got a whole month named after him, man. Not bad, not bad little setup for Reggie. Uh, number two. I've got uh, something that Coach White, I think, touched on as well. Uh, Joe Carter, man. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger one than this. Um, I remember watching that game as well. Um, What a special moment in Canadian baseball history, the Blue Jays history. Uh, To hit a walk-off World Series winner is backyard baseball type stuff. Wiffle ball dreams coming true. Um, So, you know, smack like. I can still remember it, you know, the, the, for him to be able to do that. I mean, I just, I can't, I can't imagine what, it, <laughs> what's his life like been like, you could never do anything better than that for sure. So, you know, the, the pinnacle of your life, but, uh, and it just seems like Joe Carter's such a good dude too. I love hearing him when he, when he speaks about different things. Um, what a moment. So that's my number two playoff clutch performances is Joe Carter off Mitch Williams to win a world series. And my number one, uh, I will go with also a very clutch thing to have happen is Bill Mazeroski mm-hmm. stuns the Yankees game seven. So even uh, one up Joe Carter in game six, this is game seven, um, a walk off to win the world series, you know, 61, uh, I think it was 1960. Yeah. The 60 world okay. series. Yep. It was, uh, the date was October 13th, uh, pirates versus the Yankees. It was like eight days ago. Like that's how long the series has kept extending right, from yeah, the season, right? right? Yeah, we've started flirting with November yeah. now. Um, what a what, like, how unreal is that? And to do it against the Yankees, you know, the Yankees in their lore and, and all the greats that they've had, and uh, you know, the small market Pittsburgh Pirates, and, and mm-hmm. hey, Game Seven walk off winner. I mean, that's this backyard baseball style right there. Dreams come true, and. Um, you know, something that's uh, lived lived throughout baseball lore for 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 a long time and will forevermore. Uh, so that's my number one. Yeah, the, the man, the Pirates have had some fun uh, team, like the We Are Family and stuff like that. This, it's been some good times. So <laughs> that's a good list. Uh, we're gonna double up uh, a couple of times, maybe maybe only once actually. Uh, so for me, number five, uh, and this is uh, this is not 
easy uh, for me to do, but I have to. Yeah. I have to recognize uh, greatness, and it's uh, Mad Bomb. Uh. Sorry to um, the Dodgers, and I, I feel like I got to go rinse my mouth out with soap having said that. But this guy was, <laughs> you know, legendary. You, you go back to his uh, 2004. When he was the World Series MVP, he gets the the two wins. His ERA is point four three. Is uh, is just like he's he's just was so dominant in uh, the the couple of uh, World Series that they won. And I don't think he's ever hit a postseason home run. I I don't think so. But he can. Yeah. Obviously, he's uh, a threat in the nine hole. Yeah, that's so crazy. Uh, but his 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 World Series, um, just um, just really just clutch. so dominant, yep. uh, no doubt. Um, so his his MVP in the uh, 2014 World Series, he was also the MVP in the uh, NLCS. He stuck out struck out 17 guys in the World Series in 21 innings. So Mad Bomb is number five for me. Again, I apologize uh, to Dodger fan. Uh, number four, I'm going with Big Poppy, who you who you talked yeah. about, uh, David Ortiz. Um, you know, he he's the uh, the 04 ALCS MVP, yeah. and then like seven years later, he's the World Series MVP. So it's not like he just did it once. He was six, clutch. Six eighty eight in the six game World Series over St. Louis in 2013, he hit six eighty eight. Uh, I mean, like it's, that's just crazy. I think he had six RBIs, a couple of home runs, just in loan. So big poppy, uh, from the Red Sox, number four, uh, for me, I'm going, uh, Kirk Gibson in the number three hole. Um, you know, he did it with, uh, the, the Tigers he hit a, a huge home run, uh, with the Tigers in the, uh, the 84, he was the 84 ALCS MVP. And then he has one at bat in 88 and it's. Just legendary. The most legendary bat of all time. I, I really think it is. Off the it trainer's is. table, off Eckersley in the World Series. Yeah. Hall of Fame closer. You know, full It's count. like the natural a little bit. It, it's a little it, bit like the, there's totally. just no blood. Yeah. It's, it, it is. It's a movie script. Like yeah. You would never, you, it would be too dramatic and unbelievable to produce uh, as a movie. Yeah. You know, he, oh, he's on the training table all game and he, limped into it and he almost broke his leg on a swing earlier in the at bat yeah. and it was all done because his manager had a hunch and his yeah. guy coming and through you hear vin scully talking about all the injuries he can't plant can't do this <laughs> he has hit a home run in every hover. playoff series he's been in 84 he hit uh, one in the alcs is a big one uh he hit two in the 84 world series uh hit one in the 87 als alcs uh, one in the 88 uh, NLCS to get the Dodgers and then obviously won in the World Series. So that's pretty clutch when Kirk Gibson's hitting uh, home runs uh, the entire time. Uh, number two for me is uh, Derek Cheater. 158 playoff games, man. 16 years in the playoffs. MVP in the 2000 uh, World Series um, and then the 2001 flip. Um, uh, flip. I mean, this guy has 20 home runs in the playoffs. Yeah, he's had a, he's had a whole season, yeah. season in the playoffs. Yeah, he's had 734 at-bats or plate appearances in the playoffs. Like, this is just the ultimate class. He's he a golden is, boy. He's our generation's Reggie Jackson, except he's not doing it with, like, three home runs off three at-bats. He's doing it with 
every type of play you can imagine. Do you need him to hit home run? He can. Do you need him to go down the line for a double? He can. Do you need him to make a flip play and get Giambi? He can. Yeah. Like he and he was the rock of that team, right? He was. He he was he was the heartbeat of the club and and the the, the heart and soul and the guy that they looked to for leadership in tough times. Mm-hmm. And you know he was going to say the right thing in the media. He was probably saying the right thing in the clubhouse. Not that he was raw 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 and everybody up, but just a calming force of confidence and swagger. Uh, that he brought to the game for for a long time. And my number one, um, and it shouldn't be terribly surprising uh, for anybody, it's Oral Hershiser. It's the Bulldog. The amazing thing is he was the uh, NLCS MVP in 88. He's the World Series MVP in 88. They win it, yet he's played more playoff games for the Cleveland Indians than he did <laughs> with the Dodgers. Yeah, at the end of the career there, I remember him with the Indians. And that's how you, ex- you extend your career. He, he, he got it done. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, we would like to take a chance on this type of player. Yeah. 10 playoff games, it. 10 playoff games with the uh, Indians. Uh, he only had eight with the Dodgers and then had three with the Mets in uh, 1999, uh, a win and a loss. But his performance in 88 was uh, like that whole season. I get 23 wins. Uh, that whole season, like sixty innings or fifty-eight innings scoreless, or what was it? Yeah, it was uh, like a fifty-nine point something scoreless. Seventeen strikeouts in the World Series in eighteen innings. Um, he was just masterful. So for me, yeah, bulldog. Oral Hershiser, the bulldog, is number one. We would love to hear from you. Send us your top five playoff clutch performers. You can get us on Twitter at Prospects Pod, at Jordan Blundell Four, at Duck Millard at EDM Prospects, or drop us an email, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. All right, before the series starts, do you have a prediction? And is it an obvious prediction? Yeah, it. Uh, I'm going with the Astros. Um, How many games? Six. Okay. Astros in six. Uh, the, the way the Yankees-Astros series ended changed my prediction. Uh, I would have taken the Nationals if Garrett Cole wasn't going game one. Okay, I'm going to take the Nationals in seven with Steven Strasburg getting the save. Lovely. I love it. I hope you do, man. I hope the I Nationals I just want seven do. games, right? Yeah. Like that, that, the, the Altuve game, uh, the home run, was that game two? Uh, Correa was two. Correa and, was two. Yeah, and Altuve was game six. Games, yeah, game six. So the Correa game, I'm like, just pump this into my veins. Yeah. Just give me... Extra innings, baseball, like everything, <laughs> and then seven games. Like, don't, don't we all just want seven games, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do, dude. We okay. do. <laughs> All right. Okay, so the series could wrap up on October 30th. That's when uh, that's when game seven would be. So that's next Wednesday. So we could possibly still be talking about the World Series. Uh, are you a Slurpee guy? Not particularly. What's your fa- What's your go-to uh, beverage then? Coffee? What, what do you like? Uh, I drink water, Coke Zero, and coffee. Okay. Pretty so, much. A little Dr. Pepper in there. Okay. Your uh, beverage of Dr. choice. Dr. Pepper Slurpee, though, however. Okay. Uh-huh. So let's do a Slurpee bet, then. Okay. You take the Astros, I'll take the Nats. Slurpee on the line. Slurpee on the line. Hopefully uh, hopefully it's not over. What would we got here, too? Hopefully it's not minus seven that morning and coming into the studio. Yeah, that would, uh, <laughs> that would really The Slurpee suck. machine's frozen. Sorry, do you know? Yeah, but it, it can't <laughs> be over by then already, right? So there's game two, three... October 25th. Oh, if there's a sweep, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope it's not. But we'll do a Slurpee bet on the uh, World Series. Love it. You can send us your predictions to at Prospects Pod on Twitter or Prospects Baseball Show 
at gmail.com. Big thanks to Jeff White, uh, your former teammate, your former yeah. roommate, uh, yeah. for joining us uh, out of Okanagan. Uh, I'm sure we'll see a player or two from uh, that college on your roster next year. Hopefully everything works out. Enjoy the World Series, man. You too. Thanks for having a great World Series. This has been a fun show uh, for Jordan Blundell. I'm Dean Millard. We'll talk to you on Monday. Ban the shift. <laughs> it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game.